الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاه والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان عده الشهور عند الله 12 شهرا في كتاب الله يوم خلق السماوات والارض منها اربعه حرم ذلك الدين القيم وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم صوموا عاشورا وخالفوا اليهود صوموا يوما قبله او يوما بعده او كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم most respected students of deen brothers and sisters we are presently in the month of muharram and in this mubarak month allah taala has placed great significance and virtue on is that it is among the ashhure hurum the four sacred months in the quran sharif allah taala speaks about these sacred months that the number of months in total are 12 and minha arba'atun hurum and four of these months are sacred the four sacred months azul qada azul hijja then the month of muharram and the fourth is the month of rajab so the quran sharif is referring to these months as minha arba'atun hurum these are four sacred months and thereafter allah taala says fala tazlimu fihinna anfusakum don't commit any oppression against your souls in these sacred months so this is a clear in this is an emphasis that is being placed that in these four months be even more careful it doesn't it doesn't mean that in these four months a person does not commit any oppression against himself meaning by committing sins by doing what allah taala has forbidden that in these four months a person refrains from any disobedience and in other times of the year he has some kind of license to do what he wants no that is not what is meant at all times any time of the day or night any day of the year whatever allah taala has forbidden that is forbidden allah taala has prohibited something then it is for all times but there are certain times when that prohibition becomes even more severe and to do something wrong in that particular time becomes a greater sin becomes a even greater crime we understand this very simply very easily like in the month of ramadan a person does some wrong then that is a greater wrong if it is the 27th of ramadan it is possible that it could be laylatul qadr and now a person is still totally heedless careless then this becomes an even serious more serious crime so what we are being told here is that these months are sacred so therefore one should be even more careful that one commits oneself to the obedience of allah tabarak wa taala and does not engage in anything that is forbidden otherwise this will become even more serious thing then the other part of it is that out of 
concern to maintain the sanctity of these Mubarak months, a person will be even more careful. Then out of that concern and that respect that the person has shown to these Mubarak months, Allah wa ta'ala will bless the person to inshallah refrain from all the haram, all the evil, all the sins, even for other parts of the year. Because this respect is a tremendously great thing. We tend to underestimate what is the rank and the darja of the person who has this respect in his life. But there is great barakat, great blessings, great good that comes out of respect. When a person has adab, a person has respect. There are so many incidents that we have discussed previously also. The incident of one person who was a Hindu, and he lived his entire life in this manner. But one day, after he passed away, a very great buzruk of the time saw him in a dream. The dream is not something to use as a proof in Shariat for us, but we can take a message from it, we can take a lesson for it. from it. We are not establishing some law of deen, we are not taking some masla out of it. So nevertheless, this person, this buzruk saw this person, in a dream after he passed away, and he saw him in Jannat. So he asked him that you were a Hindu, and how you ended up in Jannat? Iman is a precondition. Without Iman, a person will never enter Jannat. How you ended up in Jannat? So that person said, I was a Hindu. But before death, before I became in that condition where now the doors of Toba are closed, Allah Ta'ala gave me the tawfiq of reciting the kalima. And I recited the kalima, I became a Muslim, and I passed away on Iman. But nobody else was aware of it, nobody knew about it, so they then, then buried me the way they did. But I passed away on Iman. And what became the means of it was, that one day, it was the month of Ramadan, and my son, also the child of a Hindu, so he is a Hindu, he was eating publicly. So when I saw this, I slapped him. And I told him, don't you know that the Muslims are fasting? Can't you respect their month of fasting? That if you want to eat, go and eat somewhere where they can't, you're not in public, you are away from the sight of people. So I did this to teach him that he should respect their month. He should not, not that he will fast, but he should at least not eat in public. Out of respect for the Muslims, because there are Muslims living all around here. So he says that this act of Disciplining my son out of respect for the month of Ramadan, this became the means that Allah Ta'ala blessed me before I died. Allah Ta'ala blessed me with the tawfiq of Iman. So this is respect, this is adab. And this is what we have been told that in these Mubarak months be even more careful, be even more conscious that you don't do anything wrong. This will become the means, this respect and adab for this Mubarak month will become the means of you gaining good throughout your life. Allah Ta'ala will make it a means of refraining from haram and other parts of the year. Just recently, a few days ago, Hazrat Mufti Ibrahim Sahib gave one talk and he mentioned one incident. Hazrat Mufti Rafi Usmani Sahib he had gone to Germany and one person who was a either Pakistani or an Indian who was living now in Germany from a long time, he had invited him that come and visit this mall that I have, a very big huge mall. 
So he said, look, I have a very tight schedule and I don't have time for this. Uh, this person persisted and then eventually he said that, look, there's one thing which I want to say also, is that I also intend to accept Islam. I want to become a Muslim. So therefore, if you could please come and visit me. So when he said this, that I want to become a Muslim, obviously now this was something that really was a draw card now, that inshallah if somebody accepts Iman, what a great thing. So in any case, he went to visit this person. So this was actually to now indicate that this person wasn't just some ordinary person, he was a very wealthy person, owning this entire mall. So Hazrat Mufti Rafi Sahib, went, visited him, sat with him. So this person started discussing his life. And he said that I was still a young child and in 1947 the rights broke out and then the partition took place between India and Pakistan. This partition took place actually as a result of which these rights took place and many many Muslims were massacred unfortunately. Many left and had to leave everything behind in India. This person was living in India. They had to leave everything behind and go away to Pakistan. Many had left, many stayed, but in many areas the places were totally deserted of Muslims. And he says we were living in an area, this person was a Sikh actually, he was a Sikh. And he says we were living in an area where there were many Muslims living there, but they had left. So one day as we were going along, walking on the road, some of these houses were all lying open. And as we were going along, my father saw that there was one Quran, which was also lying flung on the floor. Maybe somebody ransacked that house, Allah Ta'ala forbid, and they, na'uzubillah, threw the Quran Sharif like this. So my father picked it up, and he gave it to me, and told me, look, there is the house of the Imam, who is to be the Imam there. This is their book. Somebody has left it here like this. Take it, hold it nicely, and go and give it to him, that this was found lying here. Now this is a Sikh, but he picked it up out of respect that this is nevertheless the Quran. And he gave it to the son, and he told him, you take this and go and give it away to the Imam, that this is your people's book, and it was found like this, so I've come to deliver it. So this person now who's sitting there, owning this whole mall, etc., he says, I as a young child, as a boy, I then took this Quran, held it with respect, and went and delivered it to the Imam, that this was found lying on the floor, so I have come to deliver it. So he says that that was a long time ago, I was still a young boy at that time, but after that incident, repeatedly this thought kept on circling in my mind that I must become a Muslim. See, I didn't do it up to now, but from time to time, time and again, this thought would come, this feeling would come in my heart that I should become a Muslim. And until today I decided that now I have to take the step forward. And therefore, I want you to now introduce me into Islam and make me become a Muslim. But where did this emanate from? This emanated from that act of adab and that act of respect that it became a means of this person gaining the wealth of Iman. So this is how effective this aspect of adab is. That it can really take a person to heights. And we've discussed this adab on many occasions. The adab of the Sahaba Kiram, the adab of the Akabir of the Ummad, the adab of the Imams of the time, the adab of Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullah alayhi. He used to say that 
I never even stretched my legs in the direction of the house of my Ustad, Imam Muhammad, Rahimahullah. Forget stretching the legs in the direction of the Ustad himself. The Ustad's house, and he says that my Ustad lived seven blocks away. But I didn't stretch my legs in that direction because the Ustad will be perhaps in the house. Out of respect for him, I didn't even stretch my legs towards his house. Then he became, together with other things, Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah. That so many centuries later, a huge, millions of people around the world, a huge population, and the bulk of the Muslims around the world, they follow the fiqh of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, the explanations of the Quran and Sunnah that he gave in, his, in the light of his expertise, in the light of his understanding, he codified the laws of the Quran and Sunnah and he presented it to the Ummad. And today a huge section of the Ummad follows this fiqh. But it didn't happen just like that. Together with all the other aspects, the very, very great aspect of adab was in their lives. And the adab that is required is not just the superficial adab. On the surface, that doesn't bring any benefit. That is, a person in the heart doesn't have any adab. But in front of a person, the person is very humble. I really am very, very uh, respectful to you. And I have great regard for you. And you may proceed first. And all the other things that, formalities that we sometimes do. And in front of a person, we, are, we humble ourselves. But in our hearts, we harbor ill feelings, we harbor malice, we make ghibat of the person, we uh, cast doubts on the person, and all the other various things that happen, then that's not adab, that is munafaqat, that is a kind of hypocrisy, that in front of the person, we are humbling ourselves, and making it sound like we are very very respectful to the person, but we have malice in our heart for the person, we have evil intent, we are trying to break down the person from the behind the person's back. We're trying to run the person down behind the person's back. Now to have one approach in front of the person, but to do the total opposite behind the person, then this is not adab. And adab is what is required, that adab which is in the heart, and then which displays itself outside as well. But the root of that adab is in the heart. That a person sincerely respects the elders of deen, our teachers, our ustads, those who are giving us deen, our parents. And in whichever level somebody has been a source of benefit to us, in terms of deen especially, our elders in the family, our uncles, our aunts, all the various levels of respect that are required of us. Then the respect for the Qur'an Sharif, respect for the things of deen, respect for the aspects of deen. The azan is going. Are we showing respect and adab to the azan? The kitabs that we study, the desk which we study on, the respect for even paper and pen, because these are instruments that help us to acquire the knowledge of deen. Now to the extent there will be true adab, not just a display, outward display of adab. There will be true adab from the heart for all these things that we mentioned. Deen, the aspects of deen, the people of deen, and especially the Quran Sharif, especially the Quran Sharif, and the kitabs of deen. That how do we handle it? How do we hold it? 
And the Quran Sharif, does it have a distinct place where it is being shown special adab? How do we hold it? How do we walk with it? How do we handle it? How do we open the pages of the Quran Sharif? How do we keep the kitab? Do we put our, for example, we're writing something, we put the page on top of the kitab and we are writing so all the weight is on the kitab. That is not correct. That is not the respect that is required. We put the page separately away from the kitab, on the desk directly. One is now we go to write in a book. Obviously we are going to write in the book. So that's something beyond uh, our control. That we are going to write in the book. One page has been under the other pages on top of it. There is no way out of that. But there is a loose page. Then we don't put the loose page on top of a kitab for the sake of having some backing. And we put it on something plain. That's part of adab now. Now these things seem insignificant. They seem small. They seem trivial. But ba adab ba nasib, be adab be nasib. We've heard this over and over again. And I'm sure and I hope everybody has by hearted this. And they remind themselves about this daily. At the beginning of the day, you should reflect on the statement at least once, minimum once, and better every now and then in the day, several times, half a dozen times in the day, reflect upon the statement. Let it flash in your mind. Ba adab, ba nasib. Be adab, be nasib. Let this be a daily reflection. The one with adab will be very fortunate and will gain a lot. And be adab, the one without adab will be be nasib, will be deprived. And the worst thing is we become deprived of deen. Be'adab becomes deprived of dunya also. We've seen it over and over again. Allah Ta'ala save us. Allah Ta'ala protect us. And never let it happen that we slip into be'adbi. We slip into disrespect. Dunya goes also. And worse is that a person becomes deprived of deen. So adab is a very big thing. Very great thing. And we are being taught. This is the lessons. These days come. These days go. It's not just something that just must come and go and we don't even think about it. We don't give it any thought. We don't realize what is what has come, what has gone, what lessons it has given us. So this is one very important lesson, the lesson of adab. That we inculcate adab in our lives, we keep increasing the adab in our lives. There is no limit to adab. And to the extent that we will increase the adab, adab of our teachers, the adab of the madrasa, the adab of our parents, the adab of the Quran Sharif, adab of everything that deserves any kind of respect, then we will see the barakat that will come in our ilm, the barakat that will come in our amal, the barakat that will come in whatever we do. Allah Ta'ala will put the barakat. I have seen with my eyes the kind of adab Hazrat Mawinu Sahib Rahmatullah had in front of his ustads that used to come, Hazrat Mufti Mahmud Sahib Rahmatullah Asatiza, then the adab that he had in front of his mashayikh, our Shaykh Hazrat Mawashah Hakim Al-Akhtar Sahib Dawan Barakatuhum and others, we'd seen it with our eyes. And then, together with all, obviously, the other aspects, when one sees the barakat in his work that Allah Ta'ala placed, that up to this day, thousands are benefiting from the work that he did. Now, this barakat doesn't come just like that. It doesn't just come just uh, by chance. There is a system. Allah Ta'ala has placed a system. Allah Ta'ala is the one that grants it. But Allah Ta'ala has placed a system. And the person who adheres to that process, Allah Ta'ala opens the doors for him. And one of the vital things in this barakat is adab. To the extent of adab, there will be barakat. Barakat in one's life, barakat in one's health, in one's wealth, 
and especially in the aspects of deen and the work of deen. So, this is a lesson that we should be conscious of, we should be focusing on the aspect of other. To what extent have we got other in our life? How did I speak just now? Or yesterday? Or how did I address my parents? Was it with adab? They said something which I wasn't too happy about, whatever the reason may be. Whether they were right or I was right is immaterial. But when I responded, when I reacted, was it with adab? Or was it a very abrupt response? Was it disrespectful? If it was disrespectful, then I have committed a serious mistake, serious error. It might have been just one statement. I just said something to my mother, said something to my father in a disrespectful manner, in a tone of anger maybe, showing some kind of defiance maybe, or pulling up my face maybe. So this was disrespectful. I need to move from this kind of things. I need to move ahead out of this kind of behavior. I need to humble myself in front of my parents. وَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفِّهُ وَلَا تَنْهَرْهُمَا وَقُلْ لَهُمَا قَوْلًا كَرِيمًا وَخْفِضْ لَهُمَا جَنَاحَ الظُّلِّ مِنَ الرَّحْمَةِ Allah Ta'ala says, totally humble yourself in front of your parents. They will say things sometimes which you are not happy with. Most of the time they will be right. Though you will not understand it. And sometimes they can also err. They are human beings. Whatever that is. But your responsibility is humble yourself. If they have erred then find out how you should go about correcting them in the right manner, in the correct way, in the appropriate way. Find out, take advice from somebody. But you will still remain humble in front of them. So this is part of that very fundamental lesson of adab, that at all times we don't let this adab slip out of our hands. So nevertheless, this was one great lesson that this month of Muharram brings with it. The lesson of adab. Allah Ta'ala is giving us this lesson that don't commit any oppression against yourself in these months. These are sacred months. So be even more careful. Then the other aspect is that in this Mubarak month there is some virtue that Nabi Sallallahu has mentioned. One is that for every day of this month that a person fasts, keeps some nafil fast, the reward is equivalent to the reward of fasting for one year. One nafil fast equivalent to the reward of fasting for one year. A person has the himmat, we should try, a few, few days, whatever we can. Then comes specifically the ninth of Muharram. The ninth of Muharram, which is, or the tenth of Muharram, which is a day of Ashura. The tenth of Muharram has special significance, special virtue. Nabi Wasallam says that the one who fasts on the tenth of Muharram, Allah will make that a means of compensation for the sins of the entire year that has passed. Now we are desperately in need of grabbing these opportunities. Because we have so much that we have to gain forgiveness for. There is so much that we have to clear up from our accounts. And therefore, this is a golden opportunity that we grab onto this and we take the benefit. We take the Benefit of having our sins forgiven. This refers to the minor sins, but that too is a very great thing that all our minor sins get forgiven and that will become a means of us making inshallah toba also from our major sins too. So, we should try 
to acquire this virtue and this benefit. Nevertheless, in terms of the fasting, Nabi Wasallam was informed that the Jews also fast on this day. So, when Nabi Wasallam inquired from them, why do you fast on this day? So they said, Musa wasalam, and his people were saved from the tyranny of Fir'aun on the day of Ashura, on the 10th of Muharram. So therefore we fast as a form of thanksgiving to Allah Ta'ala that he saved Musa wasalam, and the Bani Israel on this day. So Nabi Wasallam said, Nahnu wa awla bi Musa minkum. We are more worthy of Musa wasalam, and we are more closer to him than you are. So in other words, we will fast also out of thanksgiving to Allah Ta'ala. But we won't fast because you are fasting. Our reason for fasting is different. This is just something additional in it. Because Nabi Islam was fasting from before he became aware of the Jews fasting on this day. So another lesson we learn here is the lesson of shukr. Nabi Islam said, we are closer and more worthy to of Musa wasalam, than you are. So we will be grateful also. So the lesson of shukr, that we show gratitude to Allah Ta'ala for His favors, for His bounties. And part of gratitude to Allah Ta'ala is gratitude and being thankful to the people who have done us some favor. This too is part of gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala is the one that has given the, me, the, the favor, but Allah Ta'ala chose somebody to be the means for it. So we have to be grateful to the means as well. مَن لَمْ يَشْكُرِ لَمْ يَشْكُرِ the one who is not grateful to mankind will not be grateful to Allah Ta'ala in reality. So whatever the favor somebody has done us, the greatest favor that we have been blessed or has been done to us from any human being is the favors of our parents. From the time we were born, childhood, we can never ever repay our parents for the favors they have done to us. Impossible. A person can give his parents anything and everything. He can do the best that he can. He can give them the whole world. He can carry his parents on his head and perform hajj with them. But he can never fulfill the right of his parents. Impossible. Their rights are far beyond us being able to fulfill it. So we have to show gratitude to them accordingly. And that gratitude will have to be in sincerity in every action that we do. We show our gratitude to our parents. How we treat them, how we talk to them, how we are eager to serve them, to help them. All this will show whether we are grateful or not. And then, together with our parents, next in line are those who have done the favors of deen to us. Our teachers, our asatiza, the mashayikh, and right up to Rasulullah all those people that were the means of deen reaching us. We have to show gratitude to them. Those who are no more in this world, our gratitude will be in the form of making Isale Sawab for them. We recite at least three times Allah daily and we send the Sawab to all those who have passed on who were the means and all those who were the means of us gaining deen. They were the Muballigheen, the Mujahideen, the Muhaddisin, the Mufassireen, the Aimma of Deen, the Mujtahideen, and all the, right up from the time of Nabi Wasallam, the Sahaba, the Tabi'een, the Tabi Tabi'een, up to this time and age. There is a great number of people who combined have been the means of Deen reaching us. 
the minimal we can do is recite three times Qulu Allah daily and send the sawab to them. And this too will bring great barakat. These are things that seem to be by the way, but let us practice it and then let us see what kind of benefit this will bring to us. Bring that adab alive in our lives. Bring the shukr alive in our lives. And then see how, what a change Allah Ta'ala will make this a means of. So this is the second thing that we learn, the aspect of shukr. Then Nabi Islam addressed the Sahaba Ikram and said to them, Sumu Ashura wa Khaliful Yahud, Sumu Yoman Kablahu or Yoman Bada, that you fast on the day of Ashura. Because we're not fasting because of the Jews, but nevertheless you still oppose the Jews. Khaliful Yahud. Don't even resemble them outwardly. Sumu Yoman Kablahu or Yoman Bada. Therefore, what you should do is that together with the tenth of Muharram, together with the day of Ashura, fast one day before or one day after as well. So now you will be fasting on two days, and they only fast on one day, you have broken the outward resemblance as well. So this is again a very deep lesson, a very great message, that we should not resemble the Jews, the Yahud, and also the Nasara in any way. We should be distinct. We don't follow their way of life, and we don't follow what they want to do. So this is not just restricted to one or two things. Generally, across the board, we don't follow their way of life. And unfortunately, many other things are going headlong in that direction. And more glaring than anything else is the aspect of dressing. That the following of the Yahud and Nasara in the aspects of dressing, the immoral, shameless manner of dressing of the Yahud and Nasara, that is rubbing off onto our communities. And there isn't anything left like wearing loose garments anymore, illa mashallah. If it is loose, then it is not worth wearing. That has, that, that has become generally the trend. It has to be fitting. Otherwise, this is not possible to wear. This is out of fashion and out of date. This is something that doesn't belong to this zamana and era. Whereas this is what is deen all about, that modesty, that shame, that haya, the wearing of such garments which truly conceal, conceal even the shape of the body in every sense. But this has all now started going out of our lives because of following the Yehud and Nasara, becoming uh, attracted by their terrible way. And the reason is, we have cast the sunnat aside. So when a person leaves something good aside, he's going to get affected by every kind of wrong. When the person doesn't hold on to the good, then the person is going to get deviated towards all the wrong. So this has become the reason that we are heading headlong into the way of the Yahud and Nasara. And especially in the, ter- in the aspect of dressing. With that kind of dressing which not maybe centuries ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, even the non-believing woman would have been totally embarrassed if somebody had to suggest to them that you wear this. Many of them, the bulk of them maybe, apart from those who were totally immoral and loose, the bulk of them would have been totally embarrassed, ashamed, they wouldn't touch it. Maybe just 50 years ago this would have been the case. Even non-Muslim women had that level of haya and that level of 
shame and modesty that they wouldn't have touched those garments. Today, many a Muslim woman wears it proudly in front of her father, front of her brother, front of her sons, front of anyone and everyone, out in public, and nobody bats an eyelid. This is as a result of that haya being totally decimated. And therefore, it doesn't, it doesn't affect anybody. Nobody takes any notice of it too. Everybody is quite happy and comfortable with it. And on top of that, if somebody tells us, we might even respond and say, but what's wrong? But what's wrong is that we have forgotten what is right. So when we have forgotten and have lost track of what is right, then the wrong seems right. And the wrong seems okay. And then everything that is wrong, the question will be about is, but what is wrong? Therefore, Nabi Wasallam taught us one beautiful dua. And there's such a message in this dua. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqa warzuqna tiba'a. Ya Allah, enable us to see the truth as truth and give us the ability of following it. And wa arina al-baatila baatila warzuqna jtinaba. And enable us to see the falsehood as falsehood, the evil as evil. And save us from it. What message and what lesson it gives us here is, that one is that, what is the truth is there will always be the truth. And the evil will always be evil. But sometimes we get blinded from the truth. And we become blinded from the filth in the evil. So as a result, the person can't see the truth. He doesn't want to follow it. It's there. The truth is truth. It will always be truth. But the person doesn't want to follow it. Because he says, I don't understand this. I can't, I can't see what you're talking about. This doesn't make sense to me, Nauzubillah. Because he has become blinded. He's wearing the dark glasses. Very, very dark glasses. Which are almost totally blinding him. And now the person is being told that it is a bright day, he says it's totally dull. He says that this is totally bright, he says no, it's dull, I can't see any good in this. And as a result of that dark glasses, there's all the worms and all the filth and muck all around. The person is saying, but I can't see anything around. What's wrong with this? What's wrong with walking here? What's wrong with going here? What's wrong with wearing this? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong is that we don't know now that we can't see the wrong because of our blindness. That is what is wrong. We have blinded ourselves with shahawat, with the evil passions and evil desires. Because evil desires, it blinds a person, it deafens a person. Now the person is overwhelmed by this. It has become a curtain over the eye and it has blocked the ears. Now the person can't hear the good, can't see the good. And can't even see the evil in evil. And therefore this becomes the statement and this becomes the question, but what's wrong? So we need to think very, very carefully that we don't become the muftis of the time. But we revert to the Ahlullah, revert to the muftiyan kiram and ask them, is this wrong? We don't already jump to our conclusion and say, but what's wrong? Which in different words we are claiming that there is nothing wrong with this. We don't become the muftis of the time. But we refer, whatever there is a slightest doubt about, we ask, is this right? Or is this wrong? Because this is the command of Allah Taala. فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ 
ask those of knowledge if you have no knowledge about it. So we don't assume we have the knowledge. We refer to وَفَوْقَ كُلِّ ذِي عِلْمٍ عَلِيمٍ There is always somebody more knowledgeable than us. And we refer it to those who have the knowledge. Those who have the taqwa in their lives. The taqwa and the knowledge. We refer it to such people. And this is something very easy to ascertain. Generally, a person who, even the pious, general pious people, the generally dini conscious people, they regard a person as a person of taqwa, piety and knowledge. Then such a person is the person we refer to. And we inquire, we make this a procedure in our life, that we don't make our own decisions, we don't jump to our own conclusions, we don't make our own judgments, we turn to the people of knowledge, and we inquire of them, and we take their guidance, and then we follow, then we'll be safe, we'll be safe from the fitnas of this world, we'll be safe from treading the path of destruction, the path where our haya will be destroyed, our deen will get destroyed, our izzat will get destroyed, and we will get safe from the destruction of the Akhirat as well. So this is a very Mubarak month. It's a month which has great lessons in it for us. It's a month that has great virtue and fadilat. Then together with that is the virtue of spending on one's family. In the Hadith, Nabi Salaam says that man ala iyalihi ashura, Allahu kullaha. The one who will be generous upon his family on the day of Ashura, Allah Ta'ala will be generous upon him throughout the year. This generosity refers to spending a little bit extra on the meal of that day, being a bit generous on one's family. It doesn't require anything fancy, anything out of the world, or that a person must now go to buy some gifts for everybody, or a person must now go out of his way beyond his means and beyond what he can afford. None of these things are necessary within a person's limits, within a person's means, but to be more generous to one's family on this day, be more generous on the meal of that day, other basic things, this is what is required. And in this way also a person will attain the fadilat and the virtue of this Mubarak day. May Allah tabarak wa ta'ala grant us the tawfiq of respecting this month, respecting the uh, sanctity of this month. May Allah ta'ala make it a means of us becoming conscious of deen throughout our lives. And may we also try to gain some of the wazilat and virtue that has been mentioned and acquire the lessons also that have been discussed. Allah Ta'ala bless us with tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana anil hamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. Allahumma la nuhsi thana'an alayk anta kama afnayta ala nafsik. Jazallahu anna nabiyyana muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa sallama bima huwa ahlu. Rabbana ghalamna anfusana wa illam takhfil lana wa tarhamna lanakunanna minal khasirin. Rabbi ghfir warham wa'fu wa takarram wa tajawaz amma ta'lam innaka anta al-a'azul akram. ربنا توفنا مسلمين والحقنا بالشهداء والصالحين غير خزايا ولا نداما ولا مفتونين اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وارزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وأصحابه أجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين